listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for Grow, our first series of 2017. Morning, Real Life. How you doing? Glad you're all here. Braved the elements. Thankful to have us all together this morning. Thank you guys for, for being a part of what we're doing. Now, this morning we're starting a new series called Grow, and uh, I'll tell you where it came from. Over the last... I don't know, three, four months, I've just been reflecting on, I, I'm one of, the, one of the fun parts for me about my job is to be able to wrestle with the question of, okay, Lord, what next? What next for our church? What next for me personally? What next? And, and it seems like, you know, this is a good time of year where we're all kind of asking that question, what next for the next year and setting resolutions or, you know, our three-week, we're setting our three-week goals. Uh, we like to call those because we're all done after three weeks. But anyway, uh, so just reflecting over the last few months, like where, where have we been? What's been going well? Where, where do we have um, opportunities for improvement? And um, where, where does the Lord want to take us next? And, and one of the things that I believe over the last year is that we, we called 2016 the year of the text. And we stayed into verse-by-verse studies, and we did Leviticus, like what the heck, you know, we did Leviticus, and uh, really enjoyed that, really enjoyed wrestling with challenging possibilities of what, what the text could mean for our life and, and how we walked that out. I enjoyed that. This year, I feel like one of the things that, that the Lord is telling me as, as the, the preaching leader here is we, we taught well last year. Like the, I mean, Marty and Paul, these guys are good teachers. They are. And we're just really fortunate to have those kind of guys to be able to help support the teaching. And I, I feel like one of the things we didn't do well that we're going to improve on this year is we didn't lead well. And what I mean by that is we did a lot of Bible study, and it was interesting, but we didn't really talk about where we're going and where we're headed. And what's. And so for 2017, we've kind of dubbed 2017 the year of the mission. And so 2016 is the year of the text. 2017 is the year of the mission. And we are really going to unravel and unfold what the mission is. What, once, once we leave these doors and go out into the real world, what is it supposed to look like? Because there's all kinds of ideas about what things are supposed to look like for me as a Christian. For some people, they come in here and they get their Jesus fixed, but they walk out the doors and it has no real connection to the rest of their life. Like there's no real passion to walk out a righteous faith. It's just a matter of learning and knowing and all that kind of stuff. And, and if you ask somebody like, like that, um, how do you define your Christian walk? How do you define it? They would say, well, I read the Bible and I go to church. I do that which is really awesome for us to do. We should do both those things. The problem is Satan does that. And probably, like Satan reads the Bible and goes to church. Probably our spiritual maturity should be a a little more than the devil. There should be a little gap. And so what are we using to define our spiritual existence? Well, I think, I think that's the conversation of 2017. And, and today we're going to introduce to you uh, something that I think is, is really critical for us to understand. And so uh, we're going to use some, some passages that are familiar. We're gonna, this is, by the way, 
different type of sermon than you've been used to over the last year. This is going to be a topical sermon. We're going to use a lot of different scripture from a lot of different places. Never fear. This year, 2017, we are going to go through Genesis. And we're going to go through Revelation. Uh, You know, everybody goes, woo. You probably won't, it won't, it'll probably be like going through Leviticus. You're like, I thought it was going to be different. Like, that's probably how... It's going to wind up being at the end, but that's going to be 2017. That's, there's going to be some other things sprinkled in there, but that's, that's going to be our year. We're going to start at the beginning and end at the end. I thought that would be fitting. Um, and so that's where we're headed. We're, so we're going to do a lot of Bible stuff still, but, but I really want to, I want to couch it. <laughs> See what I did there? In, uh, in, frame, in the framework of what is the mission, what is the mission for us? And so we're going to begin with kind of the theme passage for 2017. Not a new passage, not even a, a passage we haven't talked about for a while. This is one that we bring up fairly regularly, but we're going to start in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Next, this is the first the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The whole thing hangs on these two things. Now, what I would submit for the conversation, just move on. They only asked him for one commandment. So why does God give them two? Why does Jesus give them two? Here's, here's why. Because you can't separate loving God and loving people. One directly affects the other. By the way, both directions. One directly affects the other. You can't separate loving God and loving people. Loving God will always lead you towards deeper and more profound relationships with people. Okay? Now, for those of you that are introverts in the room, I just really scared you. Hang with me. Hang with me. Um, I'm not bailing you out, but we're going we're gonna to make it okay to be an introvert. Because at the end of the day, God made extroverts extroverts, right? All the extroverts are like, yeah! God made introverts introverts, right? Real introverts don't sit there like, what? Never fear. It's okay to be what God made you to be. Okay? Now, John 13. Let's start here. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so are you, uh, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, here's the problem for me, and this is just me talking here. I grew up in a church where they valued studying the word of God, and they valued uh, Bible study classes and education and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with all that. But the problem is they would walk out into the world and be jerks. And that for me was a disconnect. And so for me and a lot of people like me, we went out of the church, came into adulthood and we kind of overreacted. It's all about love. It's all about grace. It's all about that. And, and what I would suggest is maybe both sides have carried the steps too far. And so I want to try to invite us into a, a possibility because at the end of the day, what Jesus says is the world is going to know who you serve based on how you love each other. That's the truth. That's the word of God. However, we're going to have to put proper boundaries on that love and understand how love actually works in order for us to love people well. Well, where do we learn those boundaries? 
We learn them in the word of God. So you don't just, I don't even need to know God's word. I just need to love people. No, that's not it either. That's not it either. Because you wind up giving people really bad advice in the name of loving them. You hurt them. So I want to give you another one. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Would you agree with that? God is light and in him there is no darkness. So who's light? Okay, that's important for the next verse. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're liars. If you, yeah, me and God, we're tight. But your life is a train wreck because you're sinning constantly and intentionally and without concern for ever being anything other than a sinner. Doesn't mean we don't all sin. That's not what I'm saying. Then you're a liar. If you have no concern for righteous living, but you claim to be a Christian, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, the word fellowship there is not, we handshake everybody and everybody's glad and happy and whatever. That's not the word fellowship. Let me tell you about what fellowship means. You guys will all resonate with this if you've been around for a little while. So yesterday, uh, my wife and I moved. And so I can mostly walk today. Uh, but here's the deal. We had awesome, like you know who your friends are on moving day, right? Because they, they, people show up and, and it was awesome. We had tons of help. What's interesting is you know who your friends are on moving day you know who you have real fellowship with at 6 p.m. on moving day. Because those are the people that are, you know what I'm saying? Those are the people that are still there. The, the, the ones that are as tired as you are, that have been working as hard as you, or maybe harder, and they're still there moving the, the garage stuff. They're, they're moving all the, like, the nasty yard ornaments that you just had to bring. You know, they're, they're moving that stuff. Um, that, that is... Those are the people. Like when your world falls apart at two in the morning, the first three phone calls you make, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about fellowship. Those people. That's what John says it's evidence that we're walking in the light. And if you can't point to three or four or five people that you would call at two, you're like, I don't even know who I would call, or I would call one person. Maybe you need to reevaluate your understanding of what it means to be in relationship with other people. Uh, another one. Let, let's look at James. I love this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? The answer is no. Now, that's a works righteousness. Well, that's the word of God. It's God's word. Right? Now, can the works save you? No, but a faith that leads to action can. A faith that doesn't lead to action can't save you, but the works themselves can't save you either. It's a faith that leads to action. That's where we're living. You with me? You can claim to have faith all day long, but if your life doesn't support it, then it's just words coming out of your mouth. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, or says something like this, pray for you, I'll, I'll pray for you. 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can talk about what you believe all day long, but I can tell you this, anybody ought to be able to look at your life and know what you stand for. Before you ever speak words about what you believe, they ought to be able to look at your life and know what you stand for. It's just the way it is. Here's why. Like, scale of one to 10, how important is faith? Faith's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? Look at this verse. This is fascinating to me. 1 Corinthians 13. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but love's greater than faith. Like, do you catch that? Paul said, the greatest is love. Faith is critical. Hope is critical. Love is critical. But love is more important than the other two. Treating people correctly is more important than faith. That's what Paul says. Now, don't worry. I'm not running out on faith. But what we have to understand is you cannot... Speak words about what you believe without being willing to actually walk it out. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that being said, I, wanna, I want you to understand that love isn't blind acceptance. It's not just open tolerance. It's not, I just love you. It's just grace. It's just whatever, you know, your thing's your thing. My thing's my thing. Whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not that. It's not, that's not love. Think about this. If my, if my kid was about ready to cut their leg off with a knife, and I was like, hey, you know what? I just love you. I just accept you. Right? Like, that's dumb. It's, nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. There are things that you do that hurt you, that if I love you, I'm going to say something to you. Right? Like there's, again, I've said this before, there are no successful drug use stories. There's no, there's no like, so I was using meth and everything worked out. Like there's, that story doesn't exist. So if you're doing something that hurts you, I want to, why? Because I love you. Because I love you. Not because I want you to be wrong. Not because I want you to pay for your mistakes. But because I love you. That being the case, I want you to understand that the boundaries that we understand that make love what it is come from the word of God. Therefore, we must know what it says. Okay, let me give you an example. Second Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How hard should you work at rightly handling the word of truth? It says you should do your best. Like, do you? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. It's for you. It's a conversation for you with the Lord, but do we do our best to understand rightly the word of God? Next one, another one, another passage. 
Ephesians 4, he gave, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. So we have all these different leadership people. Leadership's important. Like, we need to learn good, healthy authority and how to submit to that and, and all that stuff. Like, we have to have that tension in our lives where we don't, I don't want to, I want to be in charge of my own world. Oh, wait, God's in charge. And he puts, I mean, there's this conversation to be had there about authority, but the purpose of good biblical leadership authority is about building people up. It's always about building people up, not about putting them under their thumb. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith, what that means is that real faith should lead us toward one another, not at odds with one another. Because unity isn't uniformity. Unity isn't we're all the same. It's not the Borg from Star Trek, right? We will assimilate you. Like, it's not that. Real biblical unity is diversity surrounded around a common mission. It's different, it's different ideas, different political stances, different ones, different ages, different races, different types of, different socioeconomic stand, different, different, it's diversity coming together and rallying around a common mission. Now we may have to have a conversation about how we pull the mission off. But it's all of us coming together and rallying around a common mission. We said, listen, we may disagree on exactly how we pull it off, but we all believe that this is the right way for us to go and we're in together on that. I mean, you're like, well, I can't, I can't go to a church like that. I can't go to a church where not everybody agrees with me. Well, then how do you stay married? Like, that's relationship. It's the way relationship works. We find principles and things that we give our life to that are more important than our petty executional ideas. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. So we give these leadership gifts for the purpose of us not being taken advantage of spiritually. For the purpose of us not being taken advantage of spiritually. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. So we speak the truth in love, but what are we supposed to do with that? Grow up. The truth in love isn't allowing spiritual children to stay spiritual children. It's fighting for their maturity even when you want it more than they do. We are to grow up in every way who is him, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is, it is equipped, with each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we have all these leadership gifts to help us foster our faith so that we can be mature, so that we can love well. This is this whole process. In fact, I'll say this, Hebrews 6, look at Hebrews 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of, the, of, the, of Christ and go on to maturity. What are you supposed to do in your faith? Mature. Why? Because healthy things grow. 
If you're not maturing in your faith, then there's something not healthy in there somewhere. Now, we all have seasons of plateaus and droughts, and like it's not every day is a spiritual amazing experience. I wish it was that way, but if that became the norm, I wouldn't appreciate it, right? If every day was Christmas, that wouldn't be Christmas at all. That's what Elmo says. (laughs) I learned that when I had kids. Like, we need those valleys in order for us to appreciate the mountaintops sometimes, right? But the general trajectory is that we should be maturing in Christ always. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So there is a groundwork. We are called to love, but love is not blind acceptance. Love is about us inviting one another towards true spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? You got to be with me because these are big conceptual ideas. We're going to land eventually. Hang with me. We're circling the airport. At one point in an hour or so, we'll land it. Okay. Uh, I want to show you a graph that, to me, really sets the stage. Jesus calls us to relationship with God and relationship with others. This is Jesus' definition of spiritual maturity, right? So spiritual growth, then, should be, uh, next slide, should be our ability to continue and growing in both of those, right? That's spiritual growth. You engineers are going to be like, I totally get this. I never understood spiritual maturity before. What we're talking about here is maturity is an increased depth in my capacity to have relationship with other people and my relationship with God. It is an increased depth. It is not an increased width. Now I'm going to let you introverts off the hook, okay? This does not mean that the Holy Spirit takes you to only, from being only able to like two or three people to being able to like a hundred. That is not what's going to happen. What it does do is, as I spiritually mature, my relational energy, next slide, my relational energy gives me, uh, I got to stay in that bandwidth, but I'm able to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay? Now, we all have a relational energy. For some of us, like, and you got to figure this out, and it's not an excuse to stay away from people. It's not. And then it's not an excuse to hide in people either. But we have a reality that we can only manage three, four, five, six relationships, seven, whatever, it is, whatever your number is. It doesn't matter. You, this is between you and the Lord. You have this energy that you can live in. And if you get one side too far or the other of that, it's too much. It's too much. The, and, and think about this. Let's say that your relational energy level is seven. I can manage seven relationships well. Let's say that that's it. Maybe it's more or less for you. I don't know. And then your mom gets cancer or uh, your kid gets in a car wreck. I got a friend right now that in, is planting a church in Houston, Texas, and the week before they launched, his two oldest daughters got in a car accident. And his daughter, one of his daughters, is, that's nine weeks ago, one of his daughters is still in physical therapy. They, she hasn't been home yet. And he's trying to plant a church. Like, relational energy for him shrunk a little bit. He's not able to manage as many relationships. So it's not like, it's not evil 
if you can only manage three or four relationships. It's only a bad thing if you could actually manage seven, eight, nine, ten relationships, but you choose to be spiritually lazy and only manage three or four. That's where it becomes a problem. So we have this bandwidth of energy that we have to give. So we, have, we can all get increased depth, but we can only manage so many relationships at a time. And this spiritual maturity thing, love God, love people, it, it makes people who have a low relational energy feel really bad. But don't feel bad. Just use the relational energy that you have correctly. You with me? Now, Beyond that, we have these words, share, connect, minister, and disciple. That's in our church, our purposes. And we have attached to that kind of the spiritual maturity process where you have an infant, a child, a young adult, and a spiritual parent. Not a spiritual adult because a parent has children. And I don't think that you're really spiritual mature until you're discipling someone else. But we have these words, and, and what, I, what I want you to look at on this graph is the spiritual infant is not really good at, at either. They're trying. They just don't know. It's a new world. It's like, it's like trying a new skill, right? They're learning. They're growing. That's all good. The spiritual child really has the capacity to spin out one direction or the other. Some of them have this, like, relational side that is off the hook. Now, they're spiritually a train wreck and they're leading people down dark paths because they don't know any better. But hey, they're good with people. They're out there loving on people, but it's detrimental. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that are like, we will study the word. Yeah, and I'm all for that. That's good. That's good. But they're like, and if you people don't show up, I don't care about you at all, right? Like, maybe, maybe that's wrong, Maybe, maybe you're in sin when you do that. Maybe, maybe sometimes Bible study leads us to a place that isn't very spiritual at all. Spiritual maturity is the marriage of those two. It's the marriage of those two. And so for us, for the next year, what we want to do is consistently learn as a, as a group, as a church, where am I? Where are you? Where am I? And then how do I deal with it for myself? Like if I find myself naturally bent toward study, then I need to put in 2017 and going forward, I need to put intentional factors in my life that lead me towards more relational environments. So if you're bent, bent towards study and you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. If I'm on the relational side, I love people, I love hanging out, we're talking about, love people, love being, and then they asked me this question about how to do this thing in their life, and I told them, just do whatever your heart says. No, no. What's the word of God say? I don't know. Well, then stop ministering, because you're hurting them. Love them. Serve them. But don't give worldly advice and call it biblical counsel. We need to learn what the Bible says. We need to learn what the Bible says. So maybe your invitation this year is to get more into studying the word with somebody. So we got to figure out where we're at. How do we invite ourselves into that healthy energy bandwidth? How do we get there, wherever that's at for us? Okay, now, Here's the thing that I want to challenge you with, and then we're going to land the plane. Our mission 
is to go into all the world and make disciples, right? That's what Jesus says. We love the Lord your God with our hearts and strength. It's a great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great commission is go and make disciples. Here's what I want to set you on. In every disciple-making relationship, there are three parts. There's my part. I have to show up. I have to be invested. I have to be willing to risk in the relationship. I have to know, I have to be learning myself so that as I help teach them, then I can have something to offer. Because it's weird. You can't take somebody where you haven't been. That's my part. I have to be committed. Secondly, there's their part. They have to be willing to show up. They have to be willing to be invested. If you give them a passage to read, they ought to be able to read it. If you're going to try to disciple somebody and you're like, I want you to read this passage this week because it'll be really meaningful to you. And they come back and they're like, yeah, no, didn't read it. Like, I'm not going to disciple you because you're not doing your part. You can't live vicariously through my spiritual experience, nor can I live through yours, right? Which creates all kinds of interesting dichotomies for the sermon because that's kind of what it is. <laughs> you're kind of experiencing what God's doing in my heart. But it's all right. I'm, you're willing to listen and I'm willing to share. So it's a good relationship. We have a good relationship here. So, that, but that's like, you can't live vicariously through somebody else's spiritual experience. They have to do their part. So there's my part. I got to be willing to do my part. They have to be willing to do their part. The third part is that God's got to do his part. And I want, I want you to hear me say this. It is not your job to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And you will not do a good job of it when you try to do the Holy Spirit's job. So when you go out to try to make people feel bad that they're doing the wrong thing, you will not succeed. You know why? Because you're awesome, but you are not the Holy Spirit. It is not your job to save the world. That's Jesus' job. And he does it better than you can. Amen. By the way, it's not your job to control the world. That's God's job. I can't do his part. And it drives me nuts because I have kids and I want to convict them I want to control them, and I want to save them, right? And I can't do any of those things with my children because I'm not God. But I can do my part. So what I want us to do today is to commit in this 2017, this year of the mission, whatever the mission is, wherever it takes us, whatever the word of God says about what I'm supposed to be doing in this life, I am committed to doing my part. I'm not going to do your part. I'm not going to do God's part. I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to do my part to the very best of my ability. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so if you're new with us today, we have what's called an open table. And what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to, to take communion with us. But we want you to hold those elements till the end and we'll take them together. And while they're passing that out, um, I want to work through some implications with you. Implication number one. 
God has invited us to partner with him in helping followers of Jesus become mature. God has invited you to partner with him in helping followers of Jesus become mature. So if you're listening to the sermon and you're like, you know, what can I do for me? What can I do for me? What can I do for me? I want you to stop. And I want you to start thinking just for the next few minutes, what can I do to serve other people in a way that inspires them towards spiritual maturity? What can I do for that? Next implication. Each person has a responsibility to own where he or she is and where he or she needs to be. Each one of us has a responsibility to own that reality. Am I too focused on learning and not enough focused on loving? Or am I too focused on loving and not enough focused on learning? I don't know, but here's what I can tell you. If you're not where you need to be, there is no magic pill, no sermon, no book that you're going to read that will take the responsibility that you have to change it. Yes. I, I, uh, so I'm helping coach wrestling this year, again, because uh, my son's a senior, and it's been a great experience for us to do this together. And um, I love wrestling for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I love about wrestling is that it's not like, it's not a team sport. And yet everyone on the team is depending on you. Like in basketball, um, I played a lot of basketball growing up. Like basketball, if you're tired, you can, you can not run down the court. You know, like you don't have to sprint down the court. You can jog, right? Or you can take a playoff or you can hide behind a a really good point guard or a really good post or something. Like you can hide behind your other teammates. With wrestling, there is no hiding. It is you and the other guy. And if you need to take a few seconds off to rest, you get beat. And there's nobody else to blame for it. Like you can't blame, you can't blame, well, he was mean or he chief shot at me or the ref, you know. I was, no, you were on your back and your shoulder blades were down. That's the problem in wrestling, Right? Um, if you don't like the ref calling pen, get off your back, right? Like the, there's nobody else to blame. And I love that because one of the biggest life lessons that I think people need to learn is that you've got to take responsibility for yourself. You've got, you, you've got to stop blaming the world for why you don't like where you are. Because even if McDonald's did make you fat, but you, you, you see the, this is a real lawsuit. This is a real lawsuit. A guy suing McDonald's for making him fat. Like, because apparently McDonald's handcuffed him to the table. And the thing is, it doesn't surprise me that the guy's making the lawsuit. Here's what surprises me. That the courts are entertaining it. Like, where's the logic? It's crazy to me. We must take personal responsibility for where we're at. Because even if it's true that McDonald's did make you fat, you're the only one that has the power to stop eating McDonald's, to do anything about it. If you don't like where you're at spiritually, you're the only one that has the power to change it. The Holy Spirit's already doing his part. Last implication. I must be available to serve, love, 
and lead others to maturity in their faith while still being responsible for my own growth. This is the the marriage of the two. I've got to love people, but I've got to love God as well, and I've got to pursue him, and I do need to learn and study and grow, and, and I do need to discipline myself in the word so that when I love people well, I actually love them well, and I don't hurt them. This marriage of loving God and loving people, I, I promise you this. A lot of people love the idea of that and being meaningful in someone's life, and we have a need to be needed. What I would suggest is doing this well looks a lot like what communion represents to us. It's about laying our life down and not receiving the accolades and doing it anyway. That's what spiritual maturity is about. Eventually, we've got to come to the place where we do what we do because it's right and it's godly and it's good, not because we got thanks for it. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is given for you, so whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, I, um, I just pray that your spirit would convict us in the areas of our hearts where we need to stand before you changed. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to face down our own woundedness so that we can be better in loving others. Help us not to hide and study. And Lord, at the same time, help us not to hide in the relationships we have with other people. Help us to be everything that you've made us to be. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.